Good morning and happy Thursday to you. It is June 8th. It's 7 a.m. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright. I hope you are having a wonderful morning so far. And let's see if we can take your morning wherever it's at and make it even better. Right? Uh, I want to do the what's ahead on the show today before we pray because I actually want to give a lot of time to prayer this morning. So today on Roadmap to Heaven, here's what we have to look forward to. We are going to be hearing from Father Wade Menezes about the Feast of Corpus Christi. We also, for our radio listeners, have some wonderful homilies on the real presence of our Lord. And uh, yeah, there's, we've got a lot of really good stuff for you today. So that's all ahead on Roadmap to Heaven. But first, I want to start the day out in prayer. And in addition to our morning offering, today is the traditional Feast of Corpus Christi. Now, I know for most of us in our listening area that the feast is transferred to Sunday, and we're going to celebrate on Sunday too, but we can celebrate both days, you know. And so in addition to our morning offering, I'd like to pray with you the litany of the most blessed sacrament. So let's begin our morning in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. O living bread who descended from heaven descended, have mercy on us. Hidden God and Savior, have mercy on us. Grain of the elect, have mercy on us. Vines sprouting forth from virgins, have mercy on us. Wholesome bread and delicacy of kings, have mercy on us. Perpetual sacrifice, have mercy on us. Clean oblation, have mercy on us. Lamb without spot, have mercy on us. Most pure feast, have mercy on us. Food of angels, have mercy on us. Hidden manna, have mercy on us. Memorial of God's wonders, have mercy on us. Supersubstantial bread, have mercy on us. Word made flesh dwelling in us, have mercy on us. Holy victim, have mercy on us. O cup of blessing, have mercy on us. O mystery of faith, have mercy on us. O most high and venerable sacrament, have mercy on us. O most holy of all sacrifices, have mercy on us. True propitiary sacrifice for the living and the dead, have mercy on us. Heavenly antidote by which we are preserved from sin, have mercy on us. Stupendous miracle above all others, have mercy on us. Most holy commemoration of the passion of Christ, have mercy on us. O gift transcending all abundance, have mercy on us. O extraordinary memorial of divine love, have mercy on us. O affluence of divine largesse, have mercy on us. O most holy and august mystery, have mercy on us. Medicine of immortality, have mercy on us. Awesome and life-giving sacrament, have mercy on us. Unbloody sacrifice, 
have mercy on us. Food and guest, have mercy on us. Sweetest banquet at which the angels serve, have mercy on us. Bond of love, have mercy on us. Offering and oblation, have mercy on us. Spiritual sweetness tasted in its own fountain, have mercy on us. Refreshment of holy souls, have mercy on us. Viaticum of those dying in the Lord, have mercy on us. Pledge of future glory, have mercy on us. Be merciful, spare us, O Lord. Be merciful, graciously hear us, O Lord. From the unworthy reception of thy body and blood, deliver us, O Lord. From passions of the flesh, deliver us, O Lord. For the, from the concupiscence of the eyes, deliver us, O Lord. From pride, deliver us, O Lord. From every occasion of sin, deliver us, O Lord. Through that desire with which thou dare, desirest to eat the Passover with thy disciples, deliver us, O Lord. Through that profound humility with which thou didst wash thy disciples' feet, deliver us, O Lord. Through that most ardent love with which thou instituted this divine sacrament, deliver us, O Lord. Through the most precious blood which thou hast left for us upon the altar, deliver us, O Lord. Through those five wounds of thy most holy body which was given up for us, deliver us, O Lord. Sinners we are, we beseech thee, hear us. That thou would graciously preserve and augment the faith, reverence, and devotion in us towards this admirable sacrament, we beseech thee, hear us. That thou wouldst graciously lead us through the true confession of, we beseech thee, hear us. Our sins, I'm sorry, that thou would graciously lead us through the true confession of our sins to a frequent reception of the Eucharist, we beseech thee, hear us. That thou wouldst graciously free us from every heresy, falsehood, and blindness of the heart, we beseech thee, hear us. That thou wouldst graciously impart to us the heavenly and precious fruits of this most holy sacrament, we beseech thee, hear us. That thou wouldst graciously protect and strengthen us in our hour of death, with this heavenly viaticum, we beseech thee, hear us. O Son of God, we beseech thee, hear us. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, O Lord. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thou didst furnish them with bread from heaven. Alleluia having in it every delight. Let us pray, O God, who under a marvelous sacrament has left us a memorial of thy passion. Grant us, we beseech thee, so to venerate the sacred mysteries of thy body and blood, that we may ever perceive within us the fruit of thy redemption, thou who livest and reignest forever and ever. Amen. O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in you. O sacred heart of Jesus, I believe in your love for me. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, the Litany of the Most Blessed Sacrament. You can find that online. It'd be a beautiful one to pray uh, multiple times today if you're able, and certainly to pray together as a family on Sunday. We've got a lot of uh, Roadmap to Heaven for you, and let's get started with Mike Roberts and our weather forecast. 
And then we're going to learn a little bit about St. William of York. Today is the feast day of St. William of York. Born in England late in the 11th century, his father was chancellor and treasurer for King Henry I. In 1141, William was elected Archbishop of York, but his seat had been highly contested and only came after two other elections had been set aside. In the first, Walteroff's election was set aside because an uncanonical gift had been made. And the second election failed to secure the Pope's approval because Henry de Sully wanted to keep his position as abbot while also taking the new post as archbishop. With all this turmoil, the Archbishop of Canterbury refused to consecrate William. He spent 14 years waiting for the confusion to end, and when he finally entered the city of York, his reception was one of jubilation. For William, all was forgiven, and he began the process of healing and teaching those he was called to minister to in York. However, just two months later, he died on this day in 1154 under highly suspicious circumstances, and it was believed his administrative assistant had poisoned him. After he died, there were many miracles attributed to William. St. William of York, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. A prayer for the gift of wisdom. Great is the wisdom of the Lord. God Almighty, your wisdom includes an understanding of what is fair, what is logical, what is true, what is right, and what is lasting. It mirrors your pure intellect. I entreat you to grant me such wisdom, that my labors may reflect your insight. Your wisdom expands in your creations, displaying complexity and multiplicity. Your wisdom is an eternity ahead of man. May your wisdom flourish forever. Amen. Well, once again, we are happy to have with us Father Wade Menezes from the Fathers of Mercy and host of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. And it's been great, Father, to have you joining us for this wonderful succession of liturgical feasts that began with Easter Sunday, followed by the Ascension of our Lord, followed by Pentecost, followed by Trinity Sunday, and now we are getting ready for the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of our Lord, Corpus Christi, a wonderful feast in the life of the Church. It brings back many fond memories as a young boy serving for the processions in the parish throughout the neighborhood, and then going to processions as a young adult, and and now into middle adulthood. As much as I don't want to admit it, that's where we're at. But it's good to have you with us. Coming to us today from uh, Hansville, the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. So this is very fitting today, Father. Yes, I'm here inside the uh, Priest Retreat House at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament, just about 45 minutes north of EWTN proper, where I'm doing some tapings this week. And it's always a joy to come back to the Shrine, Adam. This is my very, very first priestly assignment uh, when I was ordained in June of 2000. I was assigned here as the priest in residence to serve the pilgrims and to assist the Franciscan friars down at EWTN who would drive up regularly to also not only assist the pilgrims, but to assist the nuns as well for their sacramental needs and the pilgrims for their evangelical needs. And so it's always a joy to come back. And, uh, you know, the whole shrine is built under the aura of the Divino Nino, the Christ child, but the official title is the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. So what a, what a beautiful location here this week 
to go ahead and uh, be talking about Corpus Christi, uh, the patronal feast day of the shrine, in fact. Now, Father, I imagine like every other feast we've been talking about over the past few weeks, the timing of this is not coincidental. Like, oh, isn't it great we've had Father Wade on to talk about this and then that? And, oh, look, here happens to be another thing on the calendar, that this is all very specifically laid out. Um, I know a few right. of the details going back to Pope Urban IV about this feast. But what can you tell us? Uh, you know, I, I know you like to prepare for open line. I, I forget what you call it, a setup, basically, to say this is what we're going to talk about today. My springboard, the, yeah. the first 10 minutes of the show, yeah. yeah so in, in your springboard for Roadmap to Heaven today in our interview, uh, what would you tell us about Corpus Christi? Well, you know, it's celebrated on the octave day of Trinity Sunday. Now, traditionally, it's held on the Thursday after Trinity Sunday, which is the octave day of Pentecost, as we talked about last week when we talked about Trinity Sunday. But very few dioceses keep it on the Thursday now, uh, following the Second Vatican Council's revamping of the uh, universal calendar. And so the church permits either celebrating it on the traditional day of the Thursday following Trinity Sunday. Thursday, the weekday itself, per se, is traditionally a day set aside uh, in honor of the Most Blessed Sacrament, especially during ordinary time and ferial days. Ferial days are days that don't have uh, saints attached to them, either as obligatory memorials or even optional memorials. So you can celebrate the vote of mass, for example, the most blessed sacrament on a Thursday and on other days as well. But but Thursday has a special marked uh, reality about it for the blessed sacrament because the Last Supper took place on the, the night of the arrest, which was Holy Thursday night, the, the night before Good Friday when our Lord died for us. So some dioceses do also still celebrate Corpus Christi on the Thursday following Holy Trinity, but most dioceses in the U.S. Uh, celebrate it on the Sunday after Trinity Sunday, so it's another octave we're celebrating now, right? I say uh, specifically a little octave because we are technically in ordinary time now. It's not a major octave when we're in a major liturgical season like Christmas or Easter. The big uh, Christmas octave is December 25th, Christmas Day, to January 1st, the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, which also kicks off the new secular New Year's, right, New Year's Day. And then Easter being another major season, uh, we have Easter Sunday itself, and its octave day is Divine Mercy Sunday, or the second Sunday of Easter. Well, we're technically in ordinary time now with Holy Trinity this past Sunday, Holy Trinity Sunday, and now Corpus Christi Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday. But it's still an octave, and, and we celebrate it. And it follows from the celebration of the Trinity because we're now reminded uh, from last Sunday, Trinity Sunday, that we're thanking the triune Godhead who gave us the Paschal Mystery and Pentecost. The Paschal Mystery being the Passion, Death, Resurrection, and Ascension of our Lord into Heaven, and fifthly, Pentecost itself. That's why the, the, the octave day after Pentecost, we celebrate Trinity Sunday to precisely thank the triune Godhead who gave us the four-event event of the Paschal Mystery and Pentecost Sunday. And now a week after honoring that triune Godhead, we recall the establishment of the reality of our Lord's precious source and summit sacrament, his body and blood given to us uh, until the end of time to feed us and to nourish us. Uh, one of the three sacraments of initiation, the most holy Eucharist, along with baptism and confirmation. And we, we hearken now to the reality that the Paschal mystery ushered in the reality of the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit leads us from Pentecost forward, the so-called birthday of the church, to 
live and share and evangelize this great sacrament with others. And we're in the midst of this three-year Eucharistic revival, and that's something that cannot be lost sight of either. So this is kind of the unfurling of, of Lent uh, into the sacred triduum, the passion and death of our Lord, then Easter Sunday, the resurrection, then ascension 40 days after, then Pentecost 10 days after that, then celebrating the triune Godhead on Trinity Sunday, uh, the, the eighth day after Pentecost, the triune Godhead that made it all possible. Uh, and, and then now we're going into Corpus Christi to remind us of the great gift of the Eucharist. And so there's an unfurling that's that's very reasonable and very theological and very scriptural too, because all these events happen in, in this order as well. But with the Eucharist now, we're hearkening that the gift is still with us, the gift that was ushered in on Holy Thursday night. One of my favorite uh, stories that's been handed down in the church is that when this feast was instituted by Pope Urban IV, that he commissioned both St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Bonaventure to compose hymns and other texts for the office for the Solemnity of Corpus Christi, and that upon hearing Aquinas's texts and hymns, St. Bonaventure ripped up his manuscripts and said, don't even bother with mine. These are so beautiful and so wonderful. We have to use these. And there's a lot of great theology we get uh, in the, the the wonderful hymn Adoro Te Devote by St. Thomas Aquinas. We get uh, we, we sing it every time we go to benediction, the Tantum Ergo, yeah. some beautiful, beautiful hymns that we have for this feast. W- what else do we want to know about? Well, you know, we know the great feast honors the the precious body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you mentioned earlier, it was established and extended to the universal church by Pope Urban uh, the the fourth, who reigned from 1261 to 1264. Uh, This great solemnity really finds its origins, as far as it being established, uh, in the controversies generated by Bengarius of Tours, uh, who died in 1088, who made the presence of Christ in the Eucharist more symbolic rather than real. And later, too, the feast was promoted by the fully church-approved visions of the servant of God, Blessed Juliana of Mount Cornelian uh, in Belgium, an Augustinian nun who understood from them that God wanted a feast established to honor the Blessed Sacrament. Now, now, although these events happened in the 11th and 12th century, of course, the doctrine was something the church has always held since apostolic times, okay? And the church never defines a doctrine until and unless it's challenged by heretics, and it was in the 11th and 12th centuries. And so that's why Pope Urban saw need to define clearly the wording of the, of the doctrine and how we believe in the Most Blessed Sacrament and extend a universal feast in honor of it on the church's universal calendar. So again, the, uh, the belief of Christ's real presence in the Eucharist is upheld by sacred scripture, tradition, the magisterium, and I'll get to those points in a moment. Uh, And this is a doctrine, Adam, that sets Catholic Christians apart from their other Christian brothers and sisters, our Protestant brothers and sisters. Uh, Discussion of this doctrine would be incomplete without the mentioning of the term transubstantiation. Transubstantiation refers to the change of substance. Trans, change, substantia, substance, the change of substance of bread and wine, into fully, really, and substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ to the words of consecration at Mass. Uh, Although this fundamental doctrine of the Catholic Church has been held by the faithful since apostolic times, the term transubstantiation was officially adopted by the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 precisely to describe the Eucharistic mystery. 
This was reinforced by the Council of Trent, which closed in 1565, and which spoke of a wonderful and singular conversion, quote, unquote, Council of Trent. It spoke of a wonderful and singular conversion of the Eucharistic elements. Uh, Pope Paul VI, too, in his 1965 encyclical on the Holy Eucharist Mysterium Fidei, emphatically states, Adam, that the sacramental presence of Christ in the Eucharist surpasses the laws of nature and constitutes the greatest miracle of its kind. Only a validly ordained priest can bring into existence the Most Holy Eucharist, and because of the reality of transubstantiation, reference to the Eucharistic species as merely bread and wine following the words of consecration are incorrect. Uh, it's more properly called at that point, after the words of consecration, the body and blood of Christ. And that cannot be forgotten of either. You know, we have many, many hearkenings of the Old Testament uh, to the Eucharist that would be established by Christ uh, in the New Testament. He, again, Christ says, I did not come to abolish the old law, but to bring it to fulfillment. And it's interesting that both in the Greek and the Hebrew language, fulfillment means to render perfect, to render the thing in question perfect. And once something is perfect, there's no future changes to it precisely because it's now perfect. So again, Christ says, I did not come to abolish the old law, but to bring it to fulfillment. Hebrew and Greek tell us that fulfillment means to render perfect the thing in question, the thing that's being talked about, right? So here are some Old Testament hearkenings, what we call types or foreshadowings of the Eucharist that would be established by Christ in the upper room on the night of the arrest to give us this most august sacrament, this most blessed sacrament, uh, uh, the source and summit of the entire Christian life, as Vatican II teaches. Listen to this. Melchizedek, uh, the king and priest of Salem, he was a foreshadowing of a Eucharistic priesthood. He was the first one to offer bread and wine. And it was very mysterious that he did. And he, and he yet he didn't slaughter the lambs. He offered bread and wine. Okay. Now, the Jewish Passover meal involving the Paschal lamb uh, was a prefigurement of the Eucharistic sacrifice that would come with Jesus himself as the Lamb of God, right? Uh, how about the man in the desert that rained down for 40 years on the Israelites following their escape from Egyptian slavery? That mysterious bread-like substance, right, that fed them for those 40 years. How about the old temple? The old temple was a prefigurement of the Eucharist, of God dwelling among his people in their midst, uh, it's interesting that the word tent in Latin is tabernaculum, which is also where we get the English word tabernacle from, uh, and we reserve the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle throughout the week until the next Sunday's Mass for adoration purposes, secondarily, and primarily to have reserved consecrated hosts to take to the sick and the homebound. This is why I love the, the three-trope uh, Angelus prayer. The third trope before the third Hail Mary is, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, because he's still dwelling among us, even following his ascension into heaven, with his real, true, and abiding presence in the most blessed sacrament. But there's more here. The original translation could be rendered thus, and the word became flesh, and he pitched his tent among us, tabernaculum, the tabernacle that houses the blessed sacrament, right?
the most blessed sacrament, the Holy Eucharist. So this is very powerful stuff. How about Elijah with the heart cakes? That was a prefigurement of the Eucharist, food for the journey, as it were. Think of Holy Viaticum at the end of one's life, which is one of the five elements to receive in the so-called last rites. Holy Viaticum, one's final Holy Communion, if they're able to receive it. They may not be, depending on how they're dying. For example, if they're dying soon after a horrendous car accident, and they're now in ICU with all kinds of apparatus on them. They're not able to receive viaticum, but the fact is viaticum remains, if the person's able, it remains one of the five elements to receive the last rites. The last rites constitute the five elements. So uh, confession, if the person feels the need to go, the anointing of the sick, holy viaticum, the prayers of commendation of the dying prayed over the person, which includes the litany of saints, and fifthly and lastly, the apostolic pardon granted to the person as well. So Holy Viaticum is like food for the journey that we read about with Elijah and the hearth cakes in 1 Kings 19. How about Bethlehem? Do you know what Bethlehem means in Hebrew? It simply means house of bread. House of bread. Our Lord was born in a town named House of Bread. I mean, do we need any more, any more uh, proof than that, right? And Our Lady laid him in a manger, the manducare, to eat, to gnaw, to chew on. It's much more graphic in the Latin. It means literally to gnaw on, G-N-A-W. She placed him in an eating trough. Our Lady placed her baby boy, the God-man incarnate, in an eating trough. I, so all these are foreshadowings of the Eucharist that would come to be established by our Lord in the upper room. Uh, how about the wedding feast at Cana, wherein we witness water change into the best of wine, and later at the Last Supper, wine changed into the blood of Christ. The multiplication of the loaves is the only miracle of our Lord to appear in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No other miracle of Jesus appears in all four Gospels. Only that one does. Uh, the Bread of Life discourse uh, in John chapter 6 uh, the Last Supper itself, wherein the Eucharistic promises are fulfilled with the actual institution of the Holy Eucharist, the fifth luminous mystery of the rosary, right? Uh, how about the road to Emmaus? When Jesus is recognized by the two disciples, once they enter the home to have supper, they recognize him in the what? In the breaking of the bread. And then he vanishes from their sight. Oh. Exactly. Demonstrating one of the four characteristics of the glorified risen state, which we've talked about in the past. Um, yeah, so the road to Emmaus. Uh, think of the froxio at Mass, the breaking of the bread at the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. I think of the road to Emmaus uh, scene every time the, the Agnus Dei beautifully takes place at Mass. They recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And at the Agnus Dei, while it's being chanted in English or Latin, I'm there breaking it and I'm recognizing him in the breaking of the bread. You know, how awesome is that? And then the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? The book of Revelation chapters 19 through 21, uh, wherein we see now that the Eucharist is the pledge of eternal glory, where we all hope to one day be seated down with the supper of the Lamb himself for all eternity. So the, the great feast of Corpus Christi, and I can't stress enough, Adam, we're in the midst of the three-year Eucharistic revival, okay? We need to promote this doctrine, get this doctrine out, and share it with Catholics and non-Catholics alike. Um, I mentioned earlier the 1965 encyclical by Pope St. Paul VI titled Mysterium Fidei. That's Latin for the mystery of faith. Let's think of the Mass now. When the priest does the two consecrations, the bread first into the body of our Lord, and then secondarily, or secondly, the wine into his precious blood. After each consecration, after the words of institution or the words of consecration are said for each species, he goes down and genuflex, right? Well, when he goes down for his genuflection following the consecration of the precious blood, the wine into the precious blood, he comes up from that second genuflection 
What are the first words out of the pre-celebrant's mouth to the congregation? Well, in my Latin English missal, I'll tell you in the Latin, it's mysterium fidei, but what we most commonly hear in English, the mystery of faith. The mystery of faith, mysterium fidei. This is it. In other words, right after the two consecrations, the mystery of faith. Here it is now. Both species on the altar. Do we believe it or do we not believe it? This is powerful. And, and, and so this is what Paul VI titled that encyclical at the closing year of the Second Vatican Council. Mysterium Fide, the mystery of faith. And you know what that encyclical has, Adam? It has about 100 quotes, 100 and 150 quotes or so from church fathers of the first seven through eight centuries defending the doctrine of the Most Holy Eucharist. And I want to share a few of those right now, if I can. St. Cyril of Alexandria says this, we have been instructed in these matters and are now filled with an unshakable faith that that which seems to be bread is no longer bread, though it tastes like it, but it is now the body of Christ. And that that which seems to be wine is no longer wine, though it too tastes as such, but it is now the blood of Christ. Draw inner strength by receiving this bread as true spiritual food, and your soul will rejoice abundantly. Because the accidents or characteristics, philosophical terms, when talking about this sacrament, the accidents or characteristics do stay the same. Still still looks like bread and wine, still tastes like bread and wine, still touches like bread and wine, if I was to touch either species, um, still smells like bread and wine, but faith comes from hearing, right? We're told in the New Testament, what do I hear at the Mass? I hear the words of consecration. This is my body. This is my blood. Our Lord's own words from the Last Supper. Faith comes from hearing. So the accidents and, and characteristics stay the same. This is why it's it's wonderful what St. Thomas Aquinas wrote in the Eucharistic hymn, the Tantum Ergo. He says, what our senses, meaning the five senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, what our senses fail to fathom following the consecration, because the accidents and characteristics stay the same, what the senses fail to fathom, let us grasp through faith's consent, and faith comes through hearing, and I hear the words of consecration at Mass. Father, I love that, that lyric in the Tantum Ergo that faith will tell us Christ is present when our human senses fail. That's the other translation of the same exact line. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's that's the same exact line, but a different English translation. Uh, Cyril continues, Cyril of Alexandria, Christ said, indicating of the bread and wine, this is my body and this is my blood, in order that you might not judge what you see to be a mere figure of his body and blood. Indeed, the offerings by the hidden power of God Almighty are changed into Christ's body and blood. And by receiving these, we come to share in the life-giving and sanctifying efficacy of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that, right? Uh, St. John Chrysostom, I I love this because John Chrysostom sounds kind of uh, in your face here, which is a good thing because he's being apologetically uh, truthful and he's trying to convey the point. Listen to this. He says, quote, it is not the power of that man up there, meaning the priest, It is not the power of that man up there which makes what is put before us the body and blood of Christ, but rather the power of Christ himself who was crucified for us. 
The priest standing up there in the place of Christ says these words of institution, but their power and grace are from God. This is my body, that priest says, and these words transform what lies before him. Isn't that great? I mean, <laughs> another great bumper sticker if it wasn't so long, right? <laughs> right. We, we, we don't need to mince words here. We need to be very clear and very direct about who we are talking about. You know, it, that's one of the things. This is nowhere near as good as the saints you quote, Father, but here at Covenant Network, we like to say that before consecration, we talk about it. After consecration, we talk about who. Yeah, it versus who. That's exactly right. Uh, and then from the Jerusalem Catechesis, which is attributed to Jeruse to St. Cyril of Jerusalem, I just quoted Cyril of Alexandria and John Chrysostom. So this is a different Cyril. This is Cyril of Jerusalem who gave us his wonderful Jerusalem Catechesis from the early 4th century that many parts of it are still used at the Easter Vigil for the three sacraments of initiation for catechumens. How awesome is that, that the current Roman ritual for the Easter Vigil's initiation of those three sacraments of new catechumens coming into the church Many elements of that ritual comes from the Jerusalem catechesis. How beautiful is that? He says this, quote, Since Christ himself has declared the bread to be his body, who can have any further doubt? And since he himself has said quite categorically, this is my blood, who would dare to question it and say that it is not his blood? Do not then regard the Eucharistic elements as ordinary bread and wine, for they are in fact the body and blood of the Lord as he himself has declared. Whatever your senses may tell you, be strong in faith. You have been taught and you are firmly convinced that what looks and tastes like bread and wine is no longer bread and wine, but truly the body and blood of Christ. Again, very clear, very to the point. I love it. You know, there were two great quotes on the Trinity that I love their directness and their curtness and no room for argumentation. The full apologetics of the faith was there. To recall from our, our episode a week ago on the Most Holy Trinity, the first one was from St. Uh, Terribius of Montenegro. He says, talking about the Trinity, God is the infinite perfect being who is the Most Holy Trinity. I mean, it's everything's just right there. And I, and I think of that with these quotes on the Eucharist from these church fathers. The other one on the Trinity was from uh, St. Columban, the, the famous 7th century abbot. He says, who then is God? I shall tell you who is God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Therefore, do not look for any other answers concerning God. You know, it's like, it's like everything's like right there, you know. <laughs> and uh, just great defense of the faith. Great defense of the faith. It, it really is. It, it takes me back to my days when I was in high school youth group and we were getting a, a wonderful catechesis on our Lord's true presence in the Most Holy mm. Eucharist. And the, the priest said, listen, bread does not have free will. Wine does not have free will. So when our Lord says, this is my body, it's not as if the bread can disobey. It has to obey. It has to give up itself and become our Lord. And this is, I, I, I love this, Father, because so often I, I fear that we don't speak clearly enough about the Eucharist, and it's led to somewhat of a watered-down faith or understanding, and then we sing things that talk about a meal and talk about how wonderful bread is and how wonderful wine is, and we negate the true presence of our Lord. Right. Well, you know, the church does officially teach it is both sacrifice and banquet. And we especially see the banquet imagery regarding the Eucharist in the book of Revelation. This is why Dr. Scott Hahn says 
a, a great element of his conversion process from Presbyterianism was when it dawned on him that the mass, the literal Catholic mass, is the book of Revelation brought into our midst, you know, given the four senses of scripture, the literal and the spiritual. And the spiritual has the three subsets, the moral, allegorical, and anagogical, right? So there's four senses of scripture from two parent categories. The two parent categories, again, are the literal, meaning taking the words at face value. They mean what they say, the actual words. But then there's the spiritual parent category, the two, the two parent categories of scripture, literal and spiritual. Well, the spiritual, the second one, has three subsets, again, the moral, allegorical, and anagogical. And it's in those senses, uh, especially the allegorical and anagogical, that Scott Hahn saw the mass being inactive of the literal book of Revelation or, or the book of Revelation being enacted in the mass, more appropriately uh, said. Uh, and, and this was very, very profound for him, a very profound element of his conversion. And he, he witnesses about it. Um, but going back to saying that what you just said about when you were growing up in high school and, and, and taking your, your faith courses, it's not as if the bread can disobey. Uh, it, it can't, or the wine can disobey. It can't. It, it's the words of God commanding it, right? Uh, listen to this. This is why I've already said that the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now listen to this. John chapter 6, which gives us the bread of life discourse. Okay? Are we ready for this? This is pretty awesome. At the very beginning of John chapter 6, we have the multiplication of the loaves, and then right after the multiplication of the loaves is the miracle of Jesus walking on water. These two miracles shows that he has power over natural elements like wheat and bread, like water. However, the second miracle of walking on water also shows he has power over his own body. What comes thirdly after the multiplication of the loaves miracle, which is followed immediately by the walking on water miracle? The bread of life discourse, where he's telling his listeners, this is my body. This is my blood. I have power over the natural elements themselves, bread and wine, and I have power over my body to make the wine my blood, to make the bread my body. And indeed, just before the bread of life discourse, those two miracles so the sacred author, John, did not by accident just randomly plug in these miracles. These miracles are in sequential order on purpose to show the reality of the mystery. There is so much we could say. I'll share with you one of my favorites, Father, and uh, you put me on the spot, so I'm going to put you on the spot. In the Eucharistic miracles where the consecrated host takes the appearance or, or form of flesh and blood uh, before the eyes of the priest, and, and in many cases the faithful, do you know when they've analyzed what appears to be flesh, what they always find when they do the analysis? The same blood type. Same blood type and always myocardial tissue, that it's always oh, yeah, heart but, tissue. And, right, uh, and it's inner. I, I could be wrong about this, but I believe at least on some of the Eucharistic miracles, it's the inner cordium wall, which so, shows something about our, our God, uh, I don't know, uh, in wanting to love us so deeply interiorly, like a deep huddle. Uh, it, it's not just the cordium wall, like outside, it's, it's the inner cordium wall tissue. And I think that's very powerful. 
All of these great gifts our Lord gives us to help us foster our devotion and help help our yeah. belief. And, and, and I think of that prayer that we pray that we get from the, the soldier, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief, and how generously yeah. our Lord answers that prayer, especially with belief in the Most Holy Eucharist. So, Adam, I just want to say to your listeners, um, do what you can to promote the Most Blessed Sacrament, the Doctor of the Most Holy Eucharist. The USCCB has a wonderful section at their website, uh, to uh, get re, uh, resources on the three-year Eucharistic revival. We have the Great Eucharistic Congress coming up in uh, 2024, the middle part of 2024 in Indianapolis. Uh, all the information's there at, at the USCCB website. Maybe you could put a link with this interview there uh, and do your part. Uh, and even, even down to receiving the Eucharist reverently at Mass, you know, to receive reverently, to receive prepared, to receive uh, from from the fact that you're dressed well for mass, to you know you make the, the the proper sign of reverence before you receive. If you receive on the hand, that you make a true Eucharistic throne with one complete palm over the other open complete palm. If you receive on the tongue, that you do so you know reverently in in the way you put out your tongue. Uh, there, there's so much here from the way we receive to the way we promote the doctrine to the way we live the doctrine. You know, it's all about body, right? His precious body and blood. What does this say about all the culture of death issues that have to do with the body, like euthanasia, abortion, unnatural marriage, improper food distribution, especially the third world countries, a nuclear armament, uh, what all these things that, that threaten directly or indirectly the sanctity of and dignity of the human person made in God's image and likeness who has a body. And the Eucharist is about his body and blood, soul and divinity, our Lord, who took on our own human nature for some 33 years. Uh, and three years of that was public. Um, so if we truly live the Eucharistic doctrine, we can't be but pro-life in the greatest sense of the term. Well, Father, I know you and I could go on and on and on, and I, I, I want to say that it was last week we were talking. Well, it was last week we were talking about the Trinity, and you used the term inexhaustible mystery. I have a feeling we're we're in that same territory. We're in the same waters, uh, but alas, yeah, it, it it is it is in one sense an inexhaustible mystery in the the reality of the miracle, the miracle of transubstantiation. Uh, God, it happens because God wants to make it happen, and that's why it happens. And uh, we should be extremely humbled by that reality of that miracle. Well, one day we'll be living in Kairos in God's time, but today we're in Kronos. Right. We're in the time of this world, and, and that is not an infinite mystery. That is rather finite. But I want to thank you for being with us on uh, Roadmap to Heaven today, and especially for our podcast listeners and our video viewers who will see the full interview, hear the full interview. It's always a, a joy to really go deep into these things with you. And uh, my favorite part is knowing that it starts with prayer and it ends with prayer. And so, Father, I'll turn it to you, turn it over to you to end our time together in prayer. Thank you, Adam. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Roadmap to Heaven listeners and all Covenant Network listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. 
Well, Father Wade Menezes, it's been a joy to have you with us, as always. And remember, friends, you can always listen to Father Wade on Open Line Tuesdays right here on Covenant Network at 2 p.m. And to find your station, if you're listening online, you can just go to ourcatholicradio.org and look up your signal and listen. You can even stream online as well. Until next time, Father, have a great week. I look forward to having you with us next week as we talk about the most sacred heart of our Lord. Thank you, Adam. I look forward to it also. And it's a great topic to follow the topic of the Eucharist, the, the heart of our Lord, having just ended talking about the inner cordium wall tissue of, of, of the Eucharistic miracles. God bless you now. You as well. We're going to take a break here on the show. Don't go anywhere. A prayer to St. Joseph. Oh, blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of thy chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God. I choose thee this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor thee all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly beseech thee to receive me as thy client, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me and for all the knowledge and love of the heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. Have you ever been confronted with a myriad of choices and you say, I don't know what to choose. There are so many great options here. Well, that is how I imagine Patty Schneier must have felt preparing for this week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, where we are looking at quotes from Venerable Servant of God, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Patty, I don't know how you've been choosing them, but they've all been great so far. Let's have another one. Well, as I've been saying all week, Fulton Sheen packs a punch and he's been hitting me right between the eyes. And so I chose the ones that actually made me kind of go, ouch, or ooh, or ooh, I think I need to work on that. Those are the ones I've been choosing as I read this book full of nuggets of truth from Fulton Sheen. So here's the one for, t- for today. He said this, charity is to be measured not by what one has given away, but by what one has left. It's easy to check off the box. This is what I said to myself. You know, it's really easy to check off the box and say, I've given to this and I've given to that. I gave my 10%. I gave my fair share. I've done my part. But what do I still have left? How much am I hoarding still, like, just in the bank? Or for what? For what reason? To die and to give it all to my children? How much do I reasonably need to provide for future health needs, which, of course, is very important. How much do I reasonably need for the future? And then after that, what am I stockpiling it for? This really challenged me. So charity is to be measured not by what I've given away, but what I have left. And so today I just before God, I have to just take an inventory of my own level of charity and how am I contributing to the building of the kingdom of God? That's what I want to do with my money, with my time, with my treasure, with my talent. I want to build the kingdom of God. And why would I stockpile when I should be giving things away? Again, this really challenged me. Maybe it challenges you as well. But that's a quote from Fulton Sheen. Charity is to be measured not by what you've given away, but what you still have left. You and I are going to need to see the divine physician by the time this week is over because, I mean, I feel like I'm getting hit right between the eyes as well, but in such a great way. Patty, thank you for sharing yet another fantastic quote with us today. 
Well, that's a wrap to our day. And, you know, speaking of physicians, I had to follow up with my physician yesterday just to check on things, and things are healing well. So thank you for all of your prayers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a reminder for me. We go see doctors all the time for ailments because why? We want to get better. So this week, especially as we've been focused on the Blessed Sacrament, you know, sometimes when you go to the doctor, I don't know about you, sometimes when I go to the doctor, we, we get more information from the conversation than necessarily the exam because he's like, you know, you mentioned that, and that actually makes me want to follow up on that. Well, are we going to see the divine phys- physician? Are we spending time in the Adoration Chapel and just saying, all right, Lord, here's where I'm at with everything. You know, this is overwhelming me. This is stressing me out. This is really good. I really am happy with how this is going in life. I'm very grateful for that. There's this great acronym, uh, X. Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication. And it's a great formula. How do you make a holy hour? Acts, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication. Go in and just spend the first bit of time adoring our Lord. You know, maybe use some rope prayers if you need them. The Adorote by St. Thomas Aquinas is a beautiful one. You can find that online, Adorote, Devote. Um, or as my my voice to text is like, did you want us to search for Adoro Te Devote? And I'm like, well, your Latin is wrong there, phone, but that's all right. That's neither here nor there. Uh, that's a great prayer of adoration. Or, you know, sometimes a great prayer is to go in and pray in Our Father, a Hail Mary, and a Glory Be, and then um, maybe some of just the short aspirational prayers, but find, find some prayers. You know what you like, you know what you want to use, but spend that first bit of time adoring our Lord. And then, you know, maybe I, I recommend every day making a good examination of conscience. Well, this is a time you could go and make that good examination of conscience in the presence of our Lord. And then for each thing, you know, I, oh, you know, I realized that today I did this and that was sinful. Lord, I am sorry. Now, this is not a substitute for the sacrament of reconciliation, and if you're in a state of mortal sin, you need to go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. But it's a great way to prepare. It's a great way to start preparing your heart, saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. So then when you go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, you love our Lord so much that you can't help but want to go to receive his mercy in, in so beautiful the Sacrament of Reconciliation. But start, if, if you're in the Adoration Chapel, start with your contrition there. You don't have to wait for reconciliation to start saying, I'm sorry. Right? You can say, start saying, I'm sorry now. Thanksgiving. You know this, it's my midday exam, and every day, what's one thing you're grateful for? Say thank you for that. Well, in the period of adoration, maybe it's that longer thing. If you keep a list of those midday examines that, you know, on Monday I was grateful for this, and on Tuesday I was grateful for that, and on Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera, you go to your weekly holy hour, and you say, all right, Lord, since last time we got together here in the adoration chapel, all these things happened, and I want to say thank you, and, and name them concretely, thank you for this. Thank you for what happened on Tuesday. Thank you for this gift that you gave me on Wednesday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then all those things in life that you're asking for, Lord, please help me with the situation at work. Lord, please give me the grace I need to navigate this situation at home. Lord, I, I applied for uh, a new school. Uh, please help me with admission for that. Or Lord, I applied for a new job. Please help me with the job interview for that. Or Lord, I, I, the finances may work out that I get to retire early. Can you, can you please help us with that? And you go through all those supplications with one very important thing, God's will be done. 
Not Adam's will, not your will, God's will. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. There is uh, much more to our interview with Father Wade. We were able to speak yesterday about Corpus Christi. To hear the full thing, you are going to have to go to our podcast. We'll have that up later this morning, and hopefully by the end of the weekend, we will have that up on our YouTube channel as well. In the meantime, you can watch our video about the Trinity that we recorded last week. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven today. Have a wonderful, wonderful Thursday. And do not forget to pray your rosary today.